this being a post-Twilight era book, of course the main character's blood is just like, mm, it's like Mountain it's... Dew Code Red. That is some <clears throat> choice, delicious blood. Wow. So all the vampires <laughs> who taste it, I know, I, I, I googled what would be a funny drink to say in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's like a great sparkling rosé and you're like Mountain Dew yeah. Code Red. I'm a basic bro, yo. <laughs> Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome back to Reginald's Book Club. So, as you guys may know, Reginald is a recurring character on my channel, and he was begging me for literal years to start a podcast, and yet, ironically, unbelievably, that son of a bitch is not here yet again, because after reading this book, his takeaway, against all logical assumptions, was to go and give blood in the hopes that he's going to go meet his future wife there. So, he's off doing that, so fortunately... One of my absolute favorite YouTubers has been able to fill in for him. Uh, this, I've, she's been an absolute inspiration to me and like really, you know, driven me to just try so much harder with what I do and all those wonderful things. So yeah, everyone say hello to Princess Weeks. That is the sweetest introduction ever. Thank you so much. As, a, as someone who is a longtime beautiful watcher of your stuff, I would say that game recognizes game. And I am also constantly being like, look how Dom elevates the material of book watching with all of his lovely gowns, beautiful gowns that, um, <laughs> and wigs, just like really brought the wig game, just Game of Thrones level of wigs. I'll well, say I, that. Yeah, as, well, as someone who's dating a cosplayer, I've actually been getting some very negative feedback on my wigs recently. <laughs> I need to step well, up my game. Well, you know, uh, if if she will help provide, because that shit is hard. But yep. yeah, still yeah, very so, proud to be here with you. Do you want to tell my audience a little bit about your channel and what you do? Um, sure. I am Princess Weeks. I make YouTube videos about the intersections of like pop culture, race, gender, etc., and so forth. And I've been around for like over a decade, but recently I've been able to really like get my niche in and just been telling people about the joys of realizing how many Confederate vampires are in <laughs> your favorite uh, 2010s show. <laughs> it is unbelievable how many Confederate vampires. Like, it, it, it seems like half their army was just made up of vampires at this point. Since I published that video, I keep getting added on like TikTok and everywhere about people being like, why are there so many like Confederate characters in this media? And I'm just like... I, I didn't realize that that video was going to be me, you know, touching at the, <laughs> put my, putting my pulse on the center, but uh, it really has blown up and I'm very proud of it because it literally was one of those videos that like I made on a whim and those always end up being the most rewarding I have mm. found of just like, it's oh, this weird. is different. Yeah. You can, yeah. I've mentioned this on this podcast before, possibly in the VIP room, but like it is weird and frustrating how you can just never tell what's going to be the popular thing on YouTube. It's always, mm -hmm. it's always the thing you did as filler or the thing you thought, oh, that'd be fun and then suddenly that's going getting like a hundred thousand views a day and the thing that you meticulously worked on for three months is like ah people just like no oh, that's pretty good yeah no i i have felt that way recently especially with like uh the don't worry darling stepford wise video which i was super proud of but i thought it was so past when don't worry darling was in like the public zeitgeist and like a bigger youtuber had literally just posted a video about it like the day before i'm like this isn't gonna go anywhere and then i opened up the analytics and it was my number one video for wow. that year at the end of the year because i posted that like last november and i'm just like 
they like me. They really like me. So, you know, that that was a really fun revelation and uh, it helped me a lot. So nice. it's been good. Yeah, that's awesome. So obviously there'll be a link in the show notes, but I believe if you just look it up Princess Weeks in yes. YouTube, you'll find you. Yeah. Yes, W-E-E-K-E-S, because my family was colonized by the British. So we have an extra E in there for no reason. Don't well, worry. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. If my last name was Noble, then you could feel a way about it. But it's not, so you're safe. Go <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no good. Anyway, books. Books. Uh, so we Don't are... cut that. Don't cut that. That was hilarious. <laughs> Don't, don't give notes to my editor. <laughs> okay, you so said we, I are, could. <laughs> we are here to talk about uh, House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. Yes. So this is a lesbian vampire romance, but with a, an asterisk next to the word vampire is, I think, yeah. how I would describe it. So, yeah, so uh, not to put you on the spot again, but so do you want to tell me a little bit about why you chose this and what this book means to you? Sure. I've been a fan of uh, Alexis Henderson for a while. Their first book, The Year of Witching, came out, and I just heard really excellent things about it. And they really have been making very, like, gothic sort of uh, fiction about witches and vampires, which, of course, I love. And I didn't read The Year of Witching because I myself am working on, like, a black girl um which novel so i was trying to like you know take a step uh back and not read it so when this mm -hmm. came out the house of hunger i'm like well vampires that's that's whatever i can do that and so i saw the cover i loved it it's this cover of like this you know curly tawny black woman wearing like this red dress it kind of reminds me of the movie the invitation and i was like oh i want to read this and so when you offered me the chance to be on here i thought hmm i'm either gonna have him read my weird long draco hermione fan fiction or the house of hunger and because we hate jk rowling i was like all right we'll do this one instead I, well for <laughs> so many reasons i'm so glad you went with this one because <laughs> yes i know your taste well enough to know that you wouldn't have enjoyed it the way i would have but that <laughs> But that is uh, that is a flaw that I accept in our friendship. Okay, yes, this is the, uh, <laughs> a blemish on an otherwise beautiful friendship. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I just thought this would be fun, and it was, and it's short. Like I, for me, not humble brag, I'm like, oh, 300 pages. That's relatively short. So I thought yeah. we could get it done safe and secure and i didn't even know that it was going to be queer i just thought it was, i just thought the cover was nice so like that was a nice surprise for everyone yeah it, no it's a uh, it's it was an interesting experience the first thing i would say about this book is that anyone thinking of reading it or to a lesser extent anyone listening to this podcast should consider a trigger warning for needles because mm -hmm. they feature very heavily in this book so if you're very squeamish about needles even talking about it or thinking of them this book is going to make you very uncomfortable because there's a, it features a lot. There's very graphic descriptions of needles penetrating your arm and blood coming out. Cause, mm -hmm. so, so that's something to consider before going ahead with either this book or us. Uh, but yeah, it's... I mean, should we start with a synopsis? Because it's, it's a little hard to explain otherwise. Sure, yeah. Do you okay. want to do the honors or would you like me to try and bring something together? Yeah, let's, go back, let's go back and forth. So I'll get the ball rolling. Um, right. So, like, it seems to be set in, like, a pseudo... Victorian era, mm -hmm. like London slash other place. Like there's like the the geography is a little vague. They keep referring to the Northerners and the Southerners, and this continent appears to be divided by some sort of everlasting storm that only blood powered trains can travel through safely. The reason I said vampires with asterisks in front of it earlier is because there's there's. I mean, I I thought when I was reading this book that it was vampires in all but name because there's it's like 
The Walking Dead or something where they just don't want to use the word vampire, but it seems that everyone has the potential to drink blood if they want to, and it does mm-hmm. have a restorative effect on them. But only the rich can afford to pay people to donate blood to them on the regular. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, it definitely sort of... I was reminded of, like, the book North and South. Like, that's kind of the dynamic that it's working with of, like, there's a southern industrial component and a northern agrarian, you know, genteel society. And so the blood drinking is just part of the genteel society bringing, like, I say, like, kind of like pumping new blood into their antiquated world. And so that's kind of where, like, everyone can drink blood, but only the these old families who are already so, you know, sickly and inbred are the ones that are using that ability to get something back for themselves. Yeah, so it's, I mean, vampires have always been somewhat of a allegory for the 1% draining the lifeblood Mm -hmm. of the poor. So this basically makes it more literal. Yeah. Uh, So, like, they only have fangs because they have, like, little golden, like, dentistry added, Mm -hmm. you know, to their teeth and stuff. So that's that's an interesting take on it because I think even at one point the main character is is given blood to drink to restore her health when she takes ill. Yeah, it it so. definitely is like this whole thing of blood. Like I remember in the beginning, the the taster tells him like everyone blood is everywhere. Blood is a part of all of these things. Uh, we just acknowledge it up here in the north. And yeah. I feel like for American listeners, you know, we have like a very different. We have like the flip experience of North and South that they would have in like the UK, which is more so with this book i feel is Mm -hmm. alluding to whereas like for us the north is the industrialist area and the south is the agricultural environment it's flipped in this one which is definitely a little bit more british i don't know if the if the author themselves is british or american but either way it definitely is feeding into a more british um gothic sensibility Mm-hmm. Well, Wikipedia doesn't have an article for her, so... Yeah, we'll, I, I, we'll I, don't worry, know. I checked. I know, I checked too. I was like, hmm. Yeah. I, the, the, at a guess, and I could be completely talking out my ass here, I would say she was American just because of the way she writes in the book. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong. It's not, I mean, not everyone is <clears throat> as unsubtle as about their... Uh, E.L. James, you know. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. writer of The Mistress, The Misses, coming soon, too. <laughs> oh, so many people tagged me in that when that happened. I was just, my, my, all of my social media was just blowing up. I was like, why? I know. You're like, my watch continues. <laughs> <laughs> it will never end. It will oh, never God. End. So that's the whole thing. But yes, yeah, so the main character, because I'm always so bad with names, I've written them all down. So mm-hmm. uh, Marion, am I say, is that how yeah. you say that? Marion okay. Shaw. Marion Shaw. So she's a, I'm, I'm assuming the young lady on the cover. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, so she's a attractive young girl living on the streets of not quite Victorian London. Mm-hmm. Uh, former pickpocket. Uh, she's working as a maid trying to go straight, but pretty shitty situation. She's living with her... Formerly okay, but now very sort of abusive older brother who's gotten addicted to opium, I think. Yeah. And so he's slowly killing himself. He's being horrible to her. Uh, she's living a really shit life. So she's she takes an, uh, a job working in the north because she sees an advertisement for being a blood blood maid. Is that what it's called? Yeah, blood maid. Which is basically a, a live-in blood donor for a one of these aristocrats who live in the north. To just constantly give blood in exchange for comfy living and a healthy pension when she retires at like thirty, because apparently you have yeah. like this, the average career span of a British football player when you're a blood. Yeah, maid. honestly, you know, when I when I was reading the book and he was selling the pitch, and I was like, I was like, I know that there's 
going to be a, ne- a downside to it. But as a decrepit 30-year-old, I was like, wow, that sounds great. <laughs> I was like, I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah. that sounds like, and I get a pension. I was yeah, like, get, I was like, sign me up. <laughs> you get to retire at 30 with a massive pension. So yeah, I kind of get it. So Yeah, I was like, so, like, where's, sign me up. But that's yeah. why I always feel like in that, like the person who's like gets seduced by evil, I'd be like, yep, where's the pen? Mm-hmm. Where's the pen? <laughs> it's like, but you're gonna lose your. D- uh, yeah, no, we, we we will. Sorry, just a one head. There will probably be spoilers in this podcast because we can't really discuss this book without the final plot twist. Uh, mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, we'll try. We'll try not to like make it completely pointless for you to read the book at all. But mm-hmm. as it will be. You will go into it more knowledgeable than if you had not listened first. Yes. So, well, yes. Yeah, so, yes, she goes and, uh, like, her best friend is disgusted because there's this massive stigma against being mm-hmm. a blood maid, giving your blood. And that was one of the things I found really interesting about this book because there's quite a lot of debate both between the characters and just sort of in the introductions to chapters about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what is degrading? What are you willing to bleed for is the yeah. question they keep bringing up because people say, oh, well, wives have to bleed. For mm-hmm. their husbands, they're they're giving of themselves in the you know Victorian era time. You're basically being a handmaiden to your husband. You're yeah. bleeding on the birthing table and all that stuff that they bring up. And you know, it sort of reminded me of the debate about sex workers and yeah, you know, that we're having sure. now. It's 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 like yeah, you know, fu- you know, don't if you don't you don't have to do it. Don't judge other people for it. You know, it's you're choosing what to do with your life and your body, and you yeah. should be allowed to do that without judgment. I mean, it's a question of autonomy, and I think in a there's like an undertone of like flipping up class structures because the whole idea is that if you're poor, you're going to stay poor forever. And if you mm-hmm. find a way to elevate yourself through a non-traditional means, that is seen as very like debasing. I mean, it's the reason why actresses like were seen as prostitutes or sex workers for a lot of the the history of the stage. Because it's like you're a woman making your own money and being sexually available and not staying a virgin for your husband. And it's established really early on that our main heroine, Marion, is a lesbian, or at least has only had sexual relationships with women and is seems to be only attracted to women. Um, the le- the book doesn't use those languages, which is why I'm not, not to, to get into any like label yeah. debating about it. But it, so you find out at the very beginning that this is a person who is meant to stay at the very bottom of the class socioeconomic barrel and maybe if she's lucky marry a farmer and get like to do more labor for somebody else because like the idea of being a farmer's wife i'm like so she has to get up every morning and toil for the rest of her life and that'll be the noble thing to do but her deciding to like give her blood for 10 years to like rich people up north is like that's what's controversial that's what's this, yeah and she's mm-hmm. like she's scrubbing the floors of this horrible old lady and while she has leeches put on her and stuff and so it's like yeah what's what's the degrading thing here so yeah like i said that for as an allegory for how we judge professions and how we judge female empowerment and autonomy these days i found that very interesting within this book yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she goes and sees this sort of very suave recruiter who sort of says, yeah, you'll be getting ba- what sounds like a pretty incredible pension, like ten thousand, like $100,000 a year kind of pension as soon as you retire and you'll get to live in the lap of luxury up north. Uh, so she's like, yeah, let's fucking do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she like literally tries to go and like talk to her brother and her brother is like, mm-hmm. how dare you? Oh. And she's like, I dare. And so it was... I mean, I, f- I was like, 
take the money, girl. Take the yeah. money and run. There's no reason to stay. And I think sometimes when you read these kind of books, they because they want their protagonist to be so likable and so good, they have to find like she has to be forced into it against her will. I like that she makes a decision very much at the yeah. very end. Like, no, I want more from myself than this thing. And if I can get it, then here I'll we do- go. Yeah, I'll do it. And like, yeah, she's she's very in control of her own, you know, she decides to take control of her own life and yeah. do this thing and say, screw you to everyone else. But yes, yeah, so you mentioned the brother. She uh, she does unfortunately end up killing him in self-defense by accident because he, yeah. you know, the idea that she would leave him and do something for her and make her life better that wasn't all about him mm-hmm. enrages him to the point that he tries to kill her. So she shoves him away, he bangs his head. So she now has two reasons for fleeing the country. Yeah. <laughs> and I even think, and I think I, it's a testament to their writing of like, they do a good job of like, he's an asshole, but they make it very clear that like he himself was a sex worker who like because of their age difference was the one who went out yes and like sacrifice yeah they were orphaned because their parents died back to back when she was about eight years old and so he was the one who took on the responsibility of providing for both of them which has which led to him catching a venereal disease uh we can imply it's syphilis because it seems to have the same kind of like syphilis i think it was mentioned by name that it was syphilis wasn't it or did i imagine that so i don't i don't remember seeing that when i read it but again like Either way, I think we can kind of say, like, it's definitely something related to syphilis. And so his mind has been eroded by this. And so I think in his mind, he's like, well, I made the sacrifice to not go somewhere else and do this for you. So you owe me. Mm-hmm. to stay here and suffer with me rather than be better somewhere else. And I think that is... Like, even though I, I had no tears for him when he died, I do think it was at least interesting to show that, like, that anger yeah. didn't come out of nowhere. You know, it just wasn't the, yeah. like, typical patriarchal resentment. It was, like, this poor resentment of, like, it's the resentment of how dare you think you're better than me, that you can have access to things yeah. that I wouldn't have access to. And, like, her guilt over his death and also why she stayed with him so long also makes sense because she's, you know, she knows that this wasn't his fault. And mm-hmm. he was... He, you know, he was, he had died to try, you know, trying to protect her. Well, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he was trying to support her, and this was, this had happened to him. So, despite how he treated her like absolute garbage, it does make you can understand why she was felt loyal to him for as long as she did. So, yeah, doesn't exactly. make a lot of sense. But yeah, so they, they, I said the, the train was an interesting one because they spent a lot of time talking about this train on this train. I thought it was going to be a bit more relevant to the plot, but. Apparently, they just have blood-powered trains that are the only thing that can safely travel from the south to the north. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, they've got some sort of powerful storms going on, and these trains are sometimes, like, hurled off the tracks altogether. Yeah. Uh. It sounded just about British to me. Terrible weather. I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Going from England to Scotland is... You have to take your life into your own hands because the eternal storms along Hadrian's Wall, you know? Yeah. I was like, which is what the Romans intended, so... Yes. <laughs> Like they probably put it there, just like we're so desperate to keep the Celts out that summon yeah. an eternal storm. Yeah, it makes sense, big and true. But yeah, so I think that was what was interesting is like throughout the entire journey, you feel like you're going into like a almost like a fairy tale. Like it very much is like, but but ver- more um, Angela Carver than anything. It's it's very much like the steampunk blood run train, and at every moment, it's like you realize. That he's just taking her to see this countess for the House of Hunger, which is one of the remaining. So there are four houses. Four great houses, yeah. There are four great houses left. It's House of Hunger, House of Fog, House of Swarms, and House of Mirrors. 
Yes, very. Like, I didn't quite fully understand the naming scheme at first, but like, it sounds like the North used to be a lot more Westerosi, where there was just like a thousand houses and they all had yeah. different sigils. And because the South is industrializing and because like time is moving on, it's mm-hmm. all become very archaic and they're sort of. So it's like you know, it's it's revolutionary era France where what purpose are these aristocrats serving and you know they're being let you know they're rich just because they have generational wealth and they don't contribute anything to society and stuff so it's 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 very much sort of like the north is a formerly great but sort of now decaying like country mm-hmm. and these yes these four houses are the only four left that really have any sort of money or power left uh hunger the one that she goes to join being the most powerful yeah, it's the most powerful, and it's led by basically Elizabeth Bathory, uh, but they call her, uh, I believe, L- Lisavet? Li- okay, yeah. Lizavet? Li- I, w- Lizav- I was going with Lizavet. Lizavet, okay. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Lizavet Bathory, and I was just like, here we go with Elizabeth Bathory slander once more, <laughs> but we'll get into that yep. later. Yep, yep. So yeah, <laughs> there was a, it's an attractive older lady, basically. A woman yeah. in like, what, her th- late 30s? Was that the impression you got? Older or? woman. <laughs> I, I know, I realized as soon as I said that, sorry. Older than the main character, because the main character is what, 21, 22? She's 20, yeah. 20, yeah. So older, not old. A woman my age shows up, old as shit. My age too, (laughs) I'm older than you. Okay. Uh, But she, like, she's like got this close cropped hair and I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. That's how I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is for the gays. (laughs) But it's, it's very much, it's like. Okay, so the, the way it works is, you know, you have the Countess Lisbeth, and then she's got, like, six or seven blood maids at a time, and there's a ranking system. Mm-hmm. So you, the, she joins, and she's expecting to be the, the new sixth sister. She's, uh, yeah. But she immediately ends up in some sort of mean girl situation, because there's a lot of rivalry between certain sisters. Mm-hmm. And this being a post-Twilight era book... Of course, the main character's blood is just like, mm, it's like Mountain yes. Dew Code Red. That is some <clears throat> choice, delicious blood. Wow. So all the vampires <laughs> who taste it, I know, I, I Googled what would be a funny drink to say in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's like a great sparkling rosé and you're like Mountain yeah. Dew nah, Code Red. I'm a basic bro, yo. <laughs> Uh, untrue so that- <laughs> St- stolen valor untrue okay you got me <laughs> no but i get what you're saying that, that it was a good joke everyone clap indeed so yeah she her blood is just absolutely choice it is delicious it is and so obviously every vampire who tastes it is just like you're my new favorite uh, although she does sign an exclusive contract saying no no giving blood no having sex no flirting no talking mm-hmm. to anyone else but but lisbeth uh it was quite a very sort of intense contract that she had to sign. Yeah. It was, I mean, better than Christian Grey's contract to Anastasia. Oh, yes. But still, but still, it's just like, but I know what she was looking at, which is like the $6,000 pension every mm-hmm. year until death. And I was just like, girl, that could be mm-hmm. like 10 more years. You could be a ripe old 40 with that money. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, so, uh, yeah, so they, there's obviously a lot of chemistry between her and... Uh, Lisbeth, because mm-hmm. uh, or Li- Lizavet. I'm see. I'm getting. I'm already getting it wrong. I'm gonna say the I feel like, l- l- let's just call her Liz. Like okay. let's just just like Countess you know, Liz. Count Count Liz. Yeah. Yeah. So Count Liz uh, takes a real shine to her, but she's sleeping with all her handmaidens. They take turns going to her bedroom and stuff. Uh, there's no explicit sex scenes. I would say in the book, the, the blood drinking's a lot more explicit. They describe mm-hmm. describe these beautiful brass needles going into the arm, or uh, on occasion she uses her. Fault, like these these false canines to to pierce her 
like veins. Mm-hmm. Or they or there's like a morning ceremony. They give you like lots of sugary food and then hook you up to a to a blood draining machine for yeah. Yeah. So that that stuff's probably where the most explicit Mm-hmm. pseudo-erotic stuff comes from whereas the the sex is mostly just implied yeah it's very much like drag like bram stoker the book not the movie levels of uh eroticism of like mm-hmm. blood in itself is it is it is a metaphor for r-rated activity um so uh <laughs> it reminded me of like i remember reading dracula a while ago for like the third time and i'm like wow i can't believe he got away with just having like Mina just drinking blood out of Dracula's chest. Well, <laughs> I was, yeah. I was just like, that's nasty. I, <laughs> like in Victorian era, they were like, this is so this this is explicit. I, you know, I am like the only person who doesn't think Dracula was sexy and even intended to be sexy. Because like, well, he himself is not sexy, but the blood drinking of as it I, is, well, is, like, is sex. I read it as explicitly a non-consensual, like a rape scene. Um, oh, I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, I but I mean in so much just to say is that like to the intimacy of the activity. Like usually, if there was a rape scene. Uh, or even an out, they, like they just allude to it. They wouldn't show it, and I think yeah. that's what's so scandalous about when you read Dracula is just thinking that like, oh, he's like put all of this like very, like you know, erotic. And I say yeah. erotic in air quotes because rape is not an erotic thing, but no. in the sense that like that's what he's going for. All of yeah. that very explicitly on the page versus just being like a lingering subtext for everything. Sure. Yeah, no, I get you. So I guess what I meant to say is it's not that I don't think it's sexual, it's that I don't think it's sexy. Because yes, I think yes. it was, you know, explicit. Like the way that he's he's holding her head onto his chest and forcing the blood into her mouth. You know, she's like weakly fighting him off. And it's like, that's that's pretty explicitly, mm-hmm. non, you know. So that when they, in the movie adaptations, when she's doing it willingly and, ha- you know, that, that was like, oh, that's a real... Like I mean, I discussed it in my Dracula episode when I talked about it. Mm-hmm. I was just like, "Huh." So anyway, that's that's we're, we're getting slightly off topic there. But, Sorry. Uh, no, 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 it's all good. <laughs> all good. Uh, so the, the the queen bee that she sort of accidentally usurps, accidentally on purpose, is called Celia. Cecilia. Yes. Uh, Cecilia. So and again, you know, very it was very mean girl situation where she's just very protective of her position as the the head, the sexiest head blood drinker, and she's obviously clearly. Most pretty much in love with uh, Countess Liz, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, she's constantly trying to bully. The she's making friends with the other mm-hmm. blood maidens, but so the more that uh, Marion rises through the ranks, the the sort of you see Cecilia's health sort of degrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Cecilia was she? I mean, there's no. Uh, not sure what terminology to use because there's no equivalent country, but is it, was she was she Latin? Because that's what I was reading into her description of her. Or did I get? Uh, I you know I kind of felt like she was sort of like Mediterranean-y. Okay. But I, but I'll admit I I one of the things I've noticed about books about when I describe race because they don't want to use like certain terminology, mm-hmm. they'll either say dark skinned or just long black hair, and I'll be like I don't know that could mean anything. That could yeah. be an Asian person. That you know like there there's not a lot of phenotype given. Like we know that one I think Irene is black because they purposely yeah, they mentioned were her hair. About that, yes. Yeah. But um Cecilia I kind of just saw as kind of like maybe Italian. Okay. Um that's kind of what I saw. Um and I think they also explain like that in the north is v- much whiter than the south as mm. well. So I I really unless they pointed it out I really didn't see it. Um, Fair enough. I would yeah, I was I was mm-hmm. with you cuz like because they 
they try and edge into describing waist sideways. Yeah. I get confused a lot. I just, I like, it's one of those things where, like, even when people are trying not to do it, there is sort of this inclination to be like, if a person is non-white, they'll put, like, dark skin. But if a person is just, like, white or anything else, they'll be like, had long flowing hair and rosy cheeks. And I'm like, so yeah. what's that? What are, like, that could be anybody. That could be lots of people. Um, which is just kind of like, I think that's just, like, us still learning how to write that in a non-clunky way. Yeah. Because um, I think, you know, if you have whole passages of introducing characters and each one is like, you know. Yes, just uh, but, describing but, their skin tone like it's a wallpaper color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But beyond but beyond that, I think, like, C- Cecilia's character was really interesting because I do hate the trope of, like, it girl fights new girl over, like, old girl's uh, opportunity. But I think as the book progressed, you realize that, like, it's, in my opinion, it was less about explicitly being in love with the countess and more like, I'm fighting for my life here. It's like, that, if well, I get, true, re- yeah. yeah, like if I am replaced, it's not just like a, a downgrade. Like these women, like th- they, they make it very clear halfway through explicitly, like the bloodletting is very dangerous to their health, especially mm-hmm. with how much they are being asked to give up. Yes, they are. Yes, you see that like their hair starts falling out, their skin starts degrading and stuff like that. So it is. Yeah, yeah they are taking more than is really healthy to take. Yeah. And so with with Marion, it's like, yeah, she's getting all of these privileges and they're like all of the, you know, signifiers of that class. But it also means that she is going to be right at the epicenter of like all of the the darkness that has to do with this very particular world. Yeah. So a lot of the book is you know that it's her trying to get by in this sort of intense you know society where you know uh, lots of other vampires come around because there's a lot of like political infighting between the four houses and they're all trying to use her as pawns there's a mm-hmm. recurring character called Sir Ivor who's this asshole mm-hmm. drunken lout meanwhile you know she's getting closer to Lisbeth but Lisbeth is like a power top so she's always like doing things to sort of uh control I think is the best way. Like, maybe yeah. like she at one point like she keeps putting her in situations to test her loyalty. Like she straight up tells her to kill someone for her. Yes. Uh, and not during you know, a fox hunt. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fox. Okay, you can either shoot the baby fox, which is staring at you with these giant Disney eyes, or you can shoot that asshole either. And, I know what I would have picked. <laughs> yeah. And so like she hesitates. I think she tries to shoot Ivor in the end, right? <laughs> is... No, she ends. She ends up aiming. She ends up shooting the pup, but not aiming for it. Right. Like she kind of like shoots at its area, and then she's like, "Next time, don't hesitate." Yes. So and then she yes. Gets, like... So Liz completely locks her out for a few weeks to show her how much she fucked up for not immediately mm-hmm. obeying her, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's all it's all very sort of power play. It's all very sort of trying. She's trying to sort of. While allowing her to keep her personality, keep her very sub- submissive to her and in her control. And it's, it, it's, it's little glimpses you get of this sort of abusive situation that sort of make the, end, the twist ending not that su- as surprising as it might have been. You know? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, but then, like, she opens up to her about her upbringing. And it's like, I mean, Liz is suffering from some sort of chronic illness that's slowly... This is why she needs so many blood maids is she has a deteriorating health con- condition that runs in the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's, like, all, kind of sick all the time. She's trying to hold this... I think she's the only female leader of these houses left. Is that right? Yes, yeah. And and also they explain that, like, the guy that she wanted uh, Marion to kill, Sir Ivor, or whatever his name is, because he's not important to me, um, he is the one who's set to inherit if she dies without 
having an heir and because she's a lesbian she's like i'm not doing that so <laughs> so she is in this position where she kind of has is supposed to marry but it is absolutely against her everything yeah so, and and she also talks about like her parents and stuff and how her mother mm-hmm. when her father died insisted on being bricked up in his tomb with him <laughs> I, I was like, citation needed, because I was like, <laughs> it's one of those things like, did she want that? It's like, did she, though? Yeah. Did she, did she want know? that, or was that in the will? <laughs> yeah. And, she, and, and, and that her mother is a blood, was a blood uh, Yes, man. that was, yes, this, this, her pseudo-vampire father had, def- like, done this big social faux pas by marrying one of his blood maidens, because it's very clear that blood maidens are property. While mm-hmm. they are, while they are indentured, they are considered property. So he had married one of his slaves, basically. Yeah. And that was a big no-no. Um... So she was in this position now where she'd inherited this house via marriage. Everyone looked down on her. She's trying to, like, it's the most powerful house, so she's trying to keep this house of cards together while everyone is trying to usurp her, looking down on her for her gender and her illness. So she's under a lot of pressure, and you you can see why Marion was drawn to her as this role model and love interest. Uh, So then, eventually, you want to talk about the, the ending? I want you to start with it because I am still processing it because I just finished it yesterday. Yeah, this, and I was just like, ah. Yeah, because this movie took a turn because, yeah, Marion eventually. Movie? Uh, sorry, for, <laughs> that, was, that was Force of Habit from my main no, show. It was just cute. <laughs> yeah, this book takes a real, real turn because she eventually finds a hidden passageway. That, uh, okay, so Cecilia, as Marion is getting more and more popular and takes her place as like first sister, Cecilia is getting more and more, like her health is degrading, her mental health is degrading. She eventually tries to attack, you know, our hero and is sent off to, uh, you know, a farm up north. She's sent up to a retirement community for her health. And it was like, oh, you can totally send letters to her and stuff. So mm-hmm. Marion eventually finds all these letters unsent and she starts getting suspicious. She starts following people around and she eventually finds a hidden passageway that leads to a dungeon, a torture chamber. And she finds Celia there, who has had her blood drained so much she's aged to, like, a 90-year-old woman. And mm-hmm. it's not just, like, Liz is, you know, just using them up. She's lit- She is actually torturing them. She is a mm-hmm. sadist and a monster. She mm-hmm. is. And, yeah, it turns out none of the girls she's ever hired actually get their pension because once they turn 29, they go down to the dungeon and are horribly, like, tortured to death and have their blood drained. And this movie goes from sort of sexy lesbian sort of vampire romance to pure horror in within the space of a chapter. Like, the mm-hmm. entire tone changes are in a second. And it's absolutely terrifying. And it's... I was... Just, that, that caught me off guard, because, like, for, for one thing, and this is actually kind of funny, in, in a post-Twilight era that we're living in now... The blood drinking vampire actually being evil is the subversion of expectations now. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I I think that like for me, because as soon as I saw her last name, I was like, all right, so she's gonna be evil. The question is, at what point will evil happen? Uh so I think that's kind of why I didn't get lured into a sense of like security about See, I the character because I, I don't know that historical character like like you do uh, yeah so i was just like oh because like even when liz was being kind of abusive i was like well that's just what vampire lovers are like i've seen edward i've seen you know it- yeah 
is Jean Grey. Like, I, yeah. the fact that she was kind of a manipulative monster was just like part of the course for these sort of romances, I thought. Turns yeah. out, no, no, you're... this this one is actually a genuine monster. You're like, ah, tradition. Traditional <laughs> abusive relationships. Ah, romance. Isn't it great? No, yeah. I, I think that like I... I had trust in the in the writers that it was going to be a little bit more nuanced than that, especially because I don't think, again, like I think, and I'll and I'll do my little notes about who Elizabeth Bathory was, mm-hmm. um, but that kind of indicated to me in my brain that like this is all false, and I think that as you see the women suffering for giving up their blood, you kind of realize that like if these people were good they would not be signing other people up to this system. And at, and at no point do you feel, at least to me, that do I true did I truly feel like there was actual love between them? It felt like kind of in the way that like when a vampire, like how a vampire will like suck his victim and it'll create like an attachment to them. It felt that like yeah. Marion was just in her thrall, that she was just kind of like looking at her and all of this things that she had was able to do and fell in love with that. Mm-hmm rather than really being in love with that person because she was already in a very emotionally vulnerable place. And I feel like the thing that is so interesting about this stuff from like a vampire perspective is that it is always usually about taking a female character who is isolated, who is vulnerable, who is like, but still pure enough and naive enough to to fall for everything. And Marion is just at the cusp of that. Like, she's yeah. very traumatized, but she is not naive and she is not. Which is why she really figures it out. Yeah, and she's not like some like very timid virgin who this is like her first radio. Like, she's already been a worldly person. And therefore, as things start looking not okay, rather than being like, no, not my wonderful Countess, it's more like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, she yeah, she doesn't like, oh, this she couldn't this this can't be real. She's just like, okay, uh red alert, let's get the fuck out of <laughs> like, here. Yeah. I love oh. it when characters actually know what red flags look like, because I sure yeah. don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the escapism of of, of fiction. Uh, <laughs> Someone, so- but, yes. but like, yeah, so she, uh Queen Queen Liz is it's not just physically torturing them. It's not just like draining her blood. She's also emotionally breaking them. Mm-hmm. She's like she's basically turning them into reek from Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's like you, you are nothing. You are all for me. So these people who are dying, who are tortured, they've had bits of them cut off. They've been branded. Are still saying yes? Please take my blood. I am nothing, and you are everything. So it it's like not to armchair psychoanalyze, but like it seemed like she was. This was something this, this this vampire queen was doing because she had felt so powerless so that destroying these blood maidens and taking everything from them is her way of retaking control of her situation. Yeah. And it, you know. It's very much like how does, like, how do privileged women, like we talk about like the girl boss stereotype and all that thing. It's a very much examination of like, what's it like to have your own privilege while still being an underclass? Yeah. And that really comes through. It reminded me, I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie Lady Macbeth. It's one of like Florence Pugh's earlier films. And in it, she plays like a woman who's married to like this Lord. And like, she is subjugated by being a woman, but then she takes it out on like her staff. And so that's what it really felt to me is like, she's this person who's sick, who needs these people to survive. And therefore that breeds resentment because how mm-hmm. dare these people who are lower than me and are unworthy be the people that I have to rely on for like my life's blood. 
And yeah. so that really, so it really just felt as if like, this was just a, ma- a manifestation of like the resentment she felt about having to be relying on these people to survive. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's either way, it's scary as hell. Like it's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, Henderson is, is very good at writing scary when she wants to, uh, but yeah, so so Marion like decides she's gonna try. She's gonna bust out of this joint. Like she she's she wants to come back for Cecilia. She wants to get all the other blood maids who have become her family out. So like they try and do a plan to get you know steal some money, get on the train, head back to the south. But obviously it goes wrong. It, mm-hmm. They get caught. So it, it it then like I feel like it twists again because it kind of stops being horror and stops being like a full on action like thing. Because like she fights like Elizabeth mm-hmm. is. Not like a vampire that she has super strength, but so it's a f- relatively even fight. Like she's she's kept all her blood maidens drained of blood, so they are physically weaker. But like they they have a a pretty even fight of it, and I'm I'm very glad that Cecilia got to get enough strength back up to take part because she you know she yeah she reaches through the bars of her cage and strangles uh you know Countess Elizabeth with her chains. Yeah. So that character got like a, it's not so much a last minute redemption because she aside from being a bit of a mean girl she hadn't really done anything wrong but it was like a she got a last hurrah in the exactly story. Yeah. yeah i i think what i loved about it was that she was a, you were able to see that like that's all she ever really wanted to do was survive and like mm-hmm. make it through this very um this very dark situation and so i had a lot of empathy for her and i was glad that she got to have that for herself in the end yeah. um and i also think that it's really good when characters are able to not just fight back but win with the help of others you know like i felt like having that companionship between them in the end was what made it worth it yeah they yes it was yes they sniped at each other when they needed to to survival but when push came to shove they were they fought together exactly she she was i mean i think cecilia knew she wasn't getting out of this alive because she was already like 106 with all the lives the years that have been drained out of her but she yeah she wanted to make sure that marion got out yeah uh, so yeah, that and so like there's you know there's a lot more action. She fires, they fire crossbows at each other. They I think she eventually just shanks the bitch in the yeah. end. So which she, is great. <laughs> yeah, it's a very satisfying end. She shanks her. She steals her very expensive jewelry. Then they go back to the south now. Uh, so are there sequels to this book? I I, I think it's a solo one. I know okay. that she's working on something else, but I think it's from the year of the witching. Gotcha. But I really like. Not only did I like this, but it reminds me of why I like shorter fiction because you know it's i say only 300 pages and i know that can sound very long to other people but like it didn't drag you know i didn't feel like we were just like everything was just dragging on and on and on to make uh it more impactful i just felt like every scene was just really interesting to me and i was just like really compelled the whole way through yeah and so i was just very glad that like when it ended i was like this is a good way to end a story that is like done yeah because like it's not even a necessarily a, a sat like she's not back to the status quo because she's got about four like thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds worth of jewelry with her so hell yeah she and her friends are going to live much nicer than they did before so it's a net gain for our heroine at the end even if yeah. she did go for a rather harrowing experience <laughs> yeah it's like it's like she ended up with exactly what she wanted which was a lot of money a lot and- of money <laughs> yep and I'm so, just like, uh, eat the rich, get that cap in. Hell yeah. <laughs> Stab the witch with a fancy ornate knife. Oh no, it was a bleeding needle or something, 
wasn't yeah. it? it was the irony factor exactly uh, so it was just like perfect we perfect did it noise so yeah i i was very i was satisfied with that ending and but yeah oh one thing okay one thing i was surprised about now i really thought that something was going to come back and it didn't so you remember um so uh, one of the traumatizing things from countess Liz- Elizabeth's um childhood was that she her father was using her blood from a very early age which was not mm-hmm. was meant to be illegal so ever since she, he he had a real taste for his own daughter's blood yes so he was draining her so eventually what she did she got sick of this sort of pseudo sexual abuse and she poisoned herself with this particular type of mushroom that mm-hmm. makes your blood toxic so it would have killed her eventually but it killed the, her father quicker yeah and then she managed to get like the antidote before it killed her um so these mushrooms were brought up then, and then mushrooms are... You're reminded of mushrooms when you find out that Countess Liz is evil. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're serving mushrooms for dinner. But they're cooked, so they wouldn't be dangerous to anyone. I really thought this was going to be a plot twist at the end, where it turns out that uh, Marion had poisoned her... You know, had eaten these mushrooms to defeat yeah. Liz. Because, you know, there was the setup, there was a reminder, but then there was no payoff. It was a, a bit of an unshot Chekhov's gun, but... I I don't know if that was an intentional mislead or if I was just reading too much into them describing mushrooms. <laughs> no, I think that it was like almost a red herring it kind of felt like like it mm-hmm. would definitely felt like it was intended to come back, but I think more than anything it just kind of emphasized to me that ultimately what she was doing was just repeating the same torturous cycle of like love and affection mixed with pain mm-hmm. and mixed with this this like eventual desire where it's like I would rather hurt myself to kill you and so I just I just found that more compelling to divide like, like when you mentioned it, I was like oh yeah that did happen I didn't forget but I definitely didn't focus on it that way because I just was so much more invested in sort of like the interpersonal connection between them. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's my way of saying you picked up on that, and I didn't. No. Well, I don't. If I wasn't writing down notes as I went through the book, I don't think I would have necessarily remembered it. Uh, but it was, I, I think it's also because like I was stressed when they got to the part where she, you know the twist reveal, and then yeah. when she captured. Uh, the, the you know Marion, I was just like, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. She ate the mushrooms. She ate the mushrooms. So yeah. I was sort of hanging on to that as a way of de-stressing. Everything's myself. gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Gonna... She's already yes. This was part of her plan. It's fine. It's so I think just through sheer anxiety is why I picked up on that. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. And I think you know you're such an empathetic reader that I just I know like I know you were just super stressed. You're like I just want everything to be okay. That's, yeah, it's all gonna be fine. It's all gonna be fine. So yeah, I, that's why I avoid horror books in general because I just get too stressed about I apologize I no, I, no, I always fine. forget that you're like uh, the sweetest egg and I'm just like yeah. everyone be nice no you don't have to kowtow to my super sensitive nature don't worry it's, <laughs> I, it's... I liked this book like I said if, I think if it hadn't had such a satisfying ending I might have been a bit more upset but because they yeah the you know the the bad guy got her just desserts the hero got away with a better life and all her <laughs> no she escaped with her friends which yeah nice. And like yeah, but pretty much anyone who was addicted to her was dead by the end, so. which is ideal. Yeah, and I I also find that like what was really rewarding about it is that like as a as someone who loves like queer b- bad guys, I like that they was just allowed to be like a queer evil character and like it was just normal. 
it was just fine yes. like there was nothing like there was nothing like like she wasn't inherently that way because of anything she just happened to be a bad person <laughs> yep it was nothing to do with being gay she was just a, just an evil person i mean yeah you know abusive childhood and all this yeah i i can't remember was being a lesbian like was that a, like a well-known secret about the countess or was it just that uh this is a less homophobic world that she was living in I just, I just don't think that in the world building for that, that it was an issue. I mean, the whole thing was like she needed to have an heir, but yeah. other than that, it didn't feel like there was like an actual like, well, if you don't, if you're, if you need to stop having sex with women so that you can have sex with men, it felt more like you have an ancient responsibility to, yeah. to do this, uh, which I prefer. I prefer the anxiety being around. Oh, like you need to do better. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I also like that she wasn't like, well, it sucks, but I've got to do this. She's just saying, no, fuck off. Yeah. I'm a lesbian. She's like, I'm not doing that. I'll just kill my heir and then whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't have no idea what's going to happen to the House of Hunger now because she's dead, but also Sir Ivor the asshole is dead because he, he was like, the, the girls try to appeal to him as like enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of thing. And he immediately betrays them because of course, but like he was going to try and blackmail the countess and she was like, actually, I'm just going to kill you. Yeah, it's, it's easier this way. <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm like the House of Hunger is is dead on arrival, and you know what? That's fine. Yeah, it's what it deserves. I mean, it was it was doomed from the start because they're in this sort of new modern era where this aristocratic mm. control over the North was was always doomed to fail. So it's yeah. probably just going to hasten the decline. I mean, there'll be eventually a point, I'm sure, where the North just ex- you know guillotines them all anyway. Yeah, it's 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 great. Every country has a north, and it deserves to be free and happy. Indeed. That's what I say. <laughs> or south, or whichever, which way ever wound it works. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about with House of Hunger? Because, you know, also, you, you were going to pitch to me, because I'm a, a, an ignorant swine. I don't know who this, this historical Elizabeth- figure is. Yeah. You don't know? So you don't know who Elizabeth Bathory is? I, I may, if once you've started describing her, I'm just really bad with names. Okay, so Elizabeth Bathory was a Hungarian noblewoman in, like, the late 1500s, I believe, who was accused of like torturing and killing hundreds of her servant girls. Um, it's ringing and a bell. She, but... And she would like, she was alleged to have like bathed in their blood to like keep her young. She was accused, she was, it was alleged that she like tortured, killed, and bled like around 300 servant girls. Um, in her palace and so she became known as like the blood countess and like if you read like vampire fiction that'll like pull characters from like history like Anno Dracula or something like that hers is a name that'll come up a lot Bathory and uh what's interesting is that she's a real person and some have speculated recently that some of the allegations against her were exaggerated because she was like a land a major land owning woman during this period propaganda against a powerful woman in the past i'm shook uh, really it's shocking let them eat cake Yeah. yeah she's been like she's like basically when like vampire fiction became like a big thing like in terms of like history she's always been someone as like an inspiration because it's like would she drinking their blood um so essentially like when i was reading this book and her last name is bathory first name liz uh it's like okay (laughs) oh wow so that's not subtle huh no that's not uh but it's okay but if you don't know then it's like twist uh but if you do know it's like when is it gonna happen well i mean because she i was really like because you know i'm I'm not that 
I, I, the only YA supernatural romances I've read, I've read for work because it's not really my genre. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I, I just my main point of reference is Twilight, and they, I think she was intentionally drawing attention to that because she was saying things like the when she was like, uh, uh, "I want you to be my first you know, number one." She was saying, like, I'm not strong enough to stay away from you anymore, which is, like, word mm-hmm. for word a Twilight quote. Yeah. So I think she was doing that intentionally because, you know, the twist in Twilight is that the vampires are, are good, actually. They're, they're actually heartthrobs. Mm-hmm. So I, at the time, at I was just time. like, yeah. <laughs> at the time, I thought it was like, oh, God, is, can we not escape from Twilight's influence anywhere? But now, now after finishing it, I was like, oh, that was an intentional misdirect. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, because of that, I, I, the tw- plot twist really hit me much harder than it hit you with your intellectual knowledge of history. I just watched a lot of the History Channel and they would always be like, the, the greatest female serial killers of all time and they would put her on it. And she's like, she technically has like the Guinness Award for uh, highest body count, but it's like, so no one we, really knows. Was she a confirmed murderer but we don't know if she was a blood drinker or do we just not know if she did anything? Um, Basically, to and I don't know everything about it, there are some allegations basically right now there's a for a long time it's kind of taken as a given like yeah she killed if not 300 then like hundreds of women or at least a significant amount however like i think the highest number is like 650 um, what? Which is that's like so, too, what? That's that's a, I was like that's too many. One is too many, but yeah. that's 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 that is. And that you is were suspicious. offended that they were like besmirching her name. I said allegations. They say that, but the <laughs> right. thing is that modern some some modern historians and writers think of it as a conspiracy because they say like for, to have killed that many women, uh, young girls at that time is not really sound like and true. that and, and then if you look at some of the witness testimony there are people who testified to her innocence and also that one of the main people pursuing the allegations against her was someone who owed her a lot of money oh. um so it's possible she didn't do anything at all it's that... possible like it's it's possible she didn't do anything at all, all. Right. um not to say that there aren't nobles who have been found to have done like occult stuff like i know there's this one french guy named like who's like the inspiration for like Bluebeard, who like did a bunch of occult stuff i think he i think he was like he fought with joan of arc oh what? His, his name was like gills to something i know too much about this stuff uh i i, I had a wicked i had a wicked fought the english and, well, she fought with him. Like, they fought together oh, for with, the French. as in on the same side. I thought you said with yeah. him as in fighting each other. Right. No, no, no. They fought together. In, so they're, like, contemporaries in the Hundred Year War. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you go and, like, oh, yeah, also, like, one of the people who fought with her wasn't child Lahir. murderer. It wasn't Lahir, um, was it? Lahir? Let me Lahain? See. I don't know. My knowledge of Joan of Arc start, like, started with just playing Age of Empires 2, so it's not very... <laughs> God, I'm giving away what a basic bitch I am. Oh, it's Gilles de Reyes. Giles de Reyes. Uh, he's definitely in Age of Empires, and they don't mention the child killing there. But Yeah, he is consumed to be, yeah. So we're going to cancel someone... Joan of Arc now because of who she associates with. Well, as a, com- as a companion of ours, that's true. It's like she's canceled. Uh, <laughs> I think that is the guy, Lahia, or Lahia, that's his other name, I think. Um, okay, good to know. Yeah, so uh note note to the Catholics, problematic once more. Um but yeah, he was accused of like child murder and like credibly 
found bodies and like all kinds right. of stuff. So like so like there are definitely nobles that like are terrible people. Elizabeth Bathory may either be a murderer or suffering from like the worst the worst public uh conspiracy of all time. Yeah. Well I mean either way <laughs> It wouldn't be the first time that that had happened, yeah. but like that's so like that's so many murders to accuse someone. That's an impractical amount yeah. of murders. It's like, and also like she run, she like had a lot of land, but like six hundred and fifty girls is a lot of girls. Like yeah. that's like a, a witch trial amount of girls. Like a small German nation. Like yeah, that, that's a lot of people to just. You and, would like, notice surprise. a decrease in the town's population from that many girls. Like there's no Very, way you could get away from that. Like with that. Yeah, it's interesting. It reminds me of like when I was like learning british history and it was like mary the first she murdered like she burned 300 protestants and they're like and then it was like that's what i read everywhere and then all of a sudden it was like actually it was like 150 and i'm like that's already bad why double it like why yeah. why add another 150 to it just I'm, for this? yeah i don't think i'm any more <laughs> horrified or less horrified you know yeah it's like oh but if we make it 300 it's really bad it's yeah. like okay I mean, once you're uh, past one murder, I'm pretty upset. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like all all, all murder is mostly bad, yep, you yep. know, unless we know the the motivations. But in general, not good. Uh, so yeah, history is weird, and that history spoiled me uh, for this book. But I still had a good time because I like I like just enjoying the journey of the the story, and this was definitely a journey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Highly recommend if you have a if you have a rating system, I give it the highest. Good to know. I may be too sensitive for it. It's okay, you sweet boy. I bad. I bad to the bone. So I can handle it. I have so many tattoos I can't be afraid of needles anymore. That's fair. I need to get more tattoos. Anyway, so uh, I think I think we're yeah I think we've 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 tapped this one. So Woo-hoo. thank you so much for joining me. Of course. And yeah, uh, for anyone listening, as I said, there will be a link in the show notes below to Princess's Princess Week's uh, amazing channel. I said it it has really Aww. inspired me to try and work harder, do better, be more you know, just work more stuff into my own YouTube channels because I just see how much she pours into it and how you know she she tackles really important issues. And, and all these things. So yeah, I absolutely 100% beg of you guys to go and check her out. That is so sweet and so kind. I, as I said, you are the best. But yeah, if anyone would like to see this or listen to any future podcasts while getting to look at our extremely attractive faces, uh, if you sign up to Patreon, these uh, yeah, these podcasts go out with a video element. We're also just about to move over to the VIP room where we're going to uh, shoot the ship for a bit more. And so you can check that out as well. And yeah, thanks so much for joining us and uh, tune in next time.